Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Australia. Glenn James here. You're listening to My Millennial Answers. I'm with my boy. How's my boy? What's your name? Jean Pigeon. Jean Pigeon. Now, we've got a question here from Laura. I'm a sole contractor, so I'm in charge of my own super. I'm 29 and have long-term and have a long-term career ahead of me. When should I start contributing to my super and how much? Should I aim for the 9.5% similar to what I was receiving contributions from an employer so what's your initial vibe if you're having a clarity call or something and that question came up what would you kind of tell that person she's early on in her business really comes down to the the cash flow of the business and and the cost to run the business and and to see if there's any surplus like ideally i think you would try and funnel away nine and a half into your super as you were um doing as an employee um Sometimes, however, when you're trying to build a business, and I went through this myself, and I think you did as well, where you might decide to funnel the funds back in to build that business and then with the view of as it grows, start to contribute to super then. Yeah, and I think it depends what your career is, Laura. So if you're a a sole contractor, and I'll just make something up, you're a physio and you basically do nine to five at a medical clinic and you're invoiced and that's it i'd probably want to do that sooner than later and yeah sure aim for 10 percent. if you are building a business that might have more revenue than the time that you can basically trade for money i think that's when the dance of what am i do i need to build this first because if i build this business i'll get a better return for my life than my super can give. So that's a consideration. So again, multifactorial, if that's the word. But I would really encourage you just as best practice, do something. Yeah, and knowing what the back-end running costs of your business are first because a lot of people don't understand that and just uh, go through just sort of winging it. So get some certainty around yeah, that but first. I, and, I, and I think as well, like, are you a contractor that basically do you have a nine-to-five job by the way they're just paying you via invoice yeah or are you building a business but i think once you're self-employed john you kind of woke to this new world of what does your money look like so it might be that you've got a boner for property like you do 25 8 and you can go well i can put 10 grand in my super or i can put that towards an investment property yeah because a lot of people say oh, I've got no super. Like they've been self-employed mm. and you've heard it. I've heard it. You've, yeah. I've got no super. I've been self-employed for a million years. I'm talking like Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, I've been self-employed for a million years and I've got no super. Oh, but I've got three investment properties. Yeah. I'm like, hey, mate, welcome to life. That is your superannuation. Yeah, that's right. Superannuation well, in Australia is a tax-effective environment to build wealth for later in life. Mm. So my challenge 
to Laura is, what are you doing for the Laura of tomorrow? Yeah, all roads lead to Rome. That's right. And the Laura of tomorrow, what are you doing for her? Are you buying an investment property for her? Yeah. Or are you putting money into a managed fund? Oh, by the way, that's wrapped in super. Yeah, it's going somewhere. So, I I don't know if we've answered it, but we've hoped answering that question just to keep you thinking about the different options. But for me personally that you touched on, John, when I started my business, because when you're a self-employed person, you do not have to pay super by law. No. Now, if I'm self-employed and I have a company structure and I'm I'm an employee of that company, Mm. I have to pay super based on the salary that I earn because I'm an employee. Yes. By the way, I own the company. That's Yes, and for the first year, myself and Amy have to pay super now. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow, we did some restructuring, did we? We did. Okay, that's cute. Um, <laughs> I think Australians are conditioned to putting money into super, aren't they? And and they, they believe that that's the only, or not believe, but they think that that's the main key for retirement. Yeah, if you are self-employed, so I started my business self-employed, I didn't need to pay myself super. Then I moved um, to a trust structure and technically I wasn't an employee at the time. So for me, I had more bang for my buck investing in my business. And also at times in the first couple of years, do I want to make sure my rent's paid this month and I've got food to eat or do I want to put money into super? Now it was a pretty simple thing that, well, super can wait. So for me absolutely it was important that i invested that money into the business because if the business was successful and remember i think 75 percent of small businesses fail within the first three to five years i knew if at least if the business could be around in five years i'll then be able to get around to pay yeah you got the chance to to pay super super. yeah yeah you can't pay super if you're not and i mean that would be cute that oh i've started this business and I've paid 10 grand of super the last three years on the business crashes because I've got no money, but I've got money in super. It wasn't cash heavy. Yeah. So I think Laura, I would probably say to you, are you starting a business or are you just contracting? Mm. So it's your long-term plan, mm. but yeah, good work, Laura. Here's a question for you, Johnny from Justin. Me and my partner have saved almost 20 grand in a year. That's pretty good. Well done, Justin. For a house deposit. Are we better off? continuing to save to avoid paying LMI, probably another 40 grand, so, you know, 60 grand in total, or get into the market with what we have now and save the $1,200 rent that we pay per month. Now, before you answer that, John, I will say, if you're listening in Sydney and you're thinking, oh, you can't buy a house for 600 grand or whatever it is, it's like not everyone lives within 10 kilometers of Sydney. Yeah. There are regional areas where you can buy a house for 300 grand. So yes. we just, we've, we've got listeners everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everyone's situation's important to us and our community. So what would you do there, John, for Justin? Yes. So if I was, if I was 21 year old, John, I'm presuming Justin's 21, right? Sure. Um, or buying my first property, I personally would say I would pay the LMI and get into the market quicker as opposed to saving or, or spending the time to save the extra 10% to avoid the LMI because the market could, and I say could, leap ahead of me in bounds. Depending where he is. Depending on where he is. And that's one important part of it is is where are you living and, and what market are you in and what is that market doing and historically what's it done the last three to five years. 
The other point he says there is um, save the 1200 rent we pay per month. Renting's not a bad thing in my mind. So 1200 per month is, when I was at school, $300 a week, right? The interest that he may pay on his home that he lives in. Sorry, I'm just thinking, did you do 1200 times 12 divided by 52? <laughs> no. For calendar month. Yeah. No, I didn't. I did 1200 <laughs> divided by four. If there's four weeks of the month. Yeah, but some months there isn't four weeks. Oh, well, anyway, no, sorry. I'm yeah. being a dick. Yes, you are being a dick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so $300 to put a roof over your head per week um, versus giving $300 to the bank for the honor of also having a roof over your head may be similar. Now, if it's an investment property, that $300 that you pay in interest may be tax deductible. So there's no one size fits all and you need to understand what you want to do uh, in your life <laughs> in the short term and also look at the long term. Now, old um, mathematician Mike here has <laughs> said it's $277 a week. Sorry, Justin, it's it's actually 277 that you're paying a week in rent, not 300 Sorry, so it makes my argument even better. Totally. There's just there's all different people listening and correct. So yeah, and I think so. John, you've touched on an important point there, and I want to take that up to eleven as well. It's like you've got another two years of saving based on what you've saved in the last twelve months for a little bit of LMI. I mean, based on your goals and having a twenty percent deposit we're not talking about a huge amount of LMI because the property cost isn't that huge based no. on what you've told us. It could be 350000 yeah. for example, right? Now, I would say getting into a house that you can call home and start to live and enjoy your home, I don't know if I can get into a house, it's going to add more to my life in terms of value and quality of life because there's no certainty of getting kicked out of home or yeah. getting evicted. If I want to paint that, I can do that. If I want to do the garden. Yeah. I You're challenging say, what I said, is it? No, I'm, I'm, no, no, no. I'm no. saying it's a good thing to get moving straight away. And buy your own home? Yes. To live in versus renting? Yes. Okay. If. That's what you want. If that's what you want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But to you, John, like if we go back the other way, what if the suburb that, they want to live in is a town and they're happy to live in that town conceptually. Yeah. And it's just been through a huge boom. It might make sense to keep renting for two years, buy elsewhere. Yes. And then swing back around and then buy, buy in, in a couple of years. Yeah. But given, but it's that lifestyle trade off, isn't it? It's like, I want to own my home, grow the lawn, cut it, change it to purple lawn and all that. Yeah. We can still Don't grow the it. lawn and cut it, yeah. can't you? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the, the landlord won't stop you from doing no. that. But the, the, the good thing about renting, and I'm, I'm not bang on about let's go and rent and do nothing else, but um, you get to choose where you want to live, which in a lot of cases actually enhances people's lifestyles. Yeah, but if you're conservative having... like me, I hate the fact when I rented yeah. that any minute, and it's an irrational fear, right? Yes, it is. That I could get evicted or, yeah. oh, that... Freaking, I hate the colour tiles in the living room. It's, yeah. it's give me a stroke. I want to... It wasn't for me. And for me, if I was in a hot market and was ready to buy and could buy to yeah. live in, 
given the lifestyle benefits that, that could bring me, yeah, I would be very interested. Yeah. It's the same as having a girlfriend versus getting married. <laughs> sure. Don't, no, yeah. don't know about any of those. <laughs> you could change girlfriends as in renting. Yeah. But when you're married, that's your home. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you find another home. Wink. Two homes at once. <laughs> but yeah, so Justin, we just want you to have the discussion. And even if you got a bit of paper and did pros and cons of renting and saving for another two years... And then another column, pros and cons of jumping in now. Mm. And with your partner, sit down, fill out, write as many as you can. Yes. And put a third column, Justin. I challenge you to put a third rent column that says rent vest for yeah. 10 years and then come back in and buy your home outright or yeah, yeah. with less debt. Yeah, it's cool. Mm. Uh, Jessica says, what's the best strategy to pay off multiple debts, i.e. personal loan or credit card? Save more. Save more. Well, <laughs> I think... With these questions, the first thing, the first part of the strategy is to go up to the mirror, tell the person off that's standing there and say, from today, I'm never going to any more consumer debt. Yeah, line in the sand. Yeah, it's got to be that moment. Cut your cards up. Yeah, then we need to make sure we've got a budgeting plan, the Glen James spending plan. I don't care what it is. Go to Money Start, get their thing. I don't yep. know. Just have a system. And just keep on minimum payments and get in the rhythm of controlling yourself for the next two months. Even if you did minimum payments for the next Mm. two months, set up your system and get in rhythm and have it. Then we just, I think the debt snowball is the best method, which is line up your debt smallest to largest, pay them all on minimum payments, and then any other money after you've done your budget. And in the Glen James spending plan, there's a tab that tells you how much is left over per week. That amount there... I want you to attack the smallest debt first. Yeah. Then when that's gone, take what you're attacking it with and that minimum payment and move it to the second one. Yeah. In fact, in the spending plan um, online course, there's a 25-minute video about getting out of debt. Cool. Yeah. So, so have the early wins, you're saying? Yeah, you've got to focus first on the person in the mirror yeah. deciding I'm never getting back into debt and I'm getting my money under control. Yeah. Even if it's, I'm not even worrying about my debt. I'm just focusing on minimum payments for the next two months, getting a system in place. Then I'm attacking debt. Yeah. If it's a long-term strategy, because if you just wake up one day and go, I want to punch the debt, punch, 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 the debt will go. Then you'll see something else. You'll go and get more debt. You haven't actually fixed the problem. You're treating the symptom. Yeah, that's right. You've gone to the doctor. but um, Was I clear? <laughs> you're very clear, yeah. It's like running a marathon. You just don't go out and train mm. as though the marathon's next week, do you? You've got to build I wouldn't up, know, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you will sit. I reckon that's on your bucket list. No, nah, it's definitely those. not. Mm. Uh, and lastly, Manal asks, how does equity work? What is it and how is it beneficial when buying a second property? And you've got less than five minutes, John. Leverage, leverage, leverage. So, how does equity work? So, um, Manel, great question. You've got a house that's valued at 500000 for argument's sake. You've got a debt that is 300000 So, the equity in that property round numbers is 200000 the bank won't allow you to use all of that 200 because that's too high risk for them. But if your servicing is solid, as in your income and, and you've got low, no debts and uh, expenses in your life are low, 
then you'll be able to use up to 80% of that. So I'll do a quick math uh, equation here. 500,000 times 80% is 400,000 minus your debt is 300,000 or minus the debt of 300,000 gives you usable equity of 100,000. So if your servicing is good, Manel, then the banks may say, well, you can actually take that 100K in paper value and it's a loan from the bank. It's not yours to, to spend and not pay interest on again. It's a loan from that, um, from that institution to say you can use that 100 for whatever you want. So you could actually go and buy a boat with it, right, which is quite dangerous actually. But presuming that you're wanting to buy that second property so that 100K would be used for your deposits and costs around that next property, period. Sweet. And if I owned a house, I actually wasn't listening, I was on my phone. <laughs> um, if I owned a house worth $600,000 without any mortgage owned it outright, mm-hmm. I'd have $600,000 worth of equity. Yes, but the usable equity that the bank would probably, well, would have a ceiling. It wouldn't allow you to use the whole amount, just too risky, and your income would need to be too high. So, yeah, there will be a ceiling when it comes to how much equity you can pull out. The bank will also look at what you're purchasing as well to, to maybe say, well, if you're getting a, a 5% gross rental yield on that versus a 3%, um, that may help with, um, with some funds as well. All right, thanks for listening to my Millennial Answers. Thank you. We'll see you guys soon. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.